We here at Infinity Break love our comic books, which is why uh, myself and Nick Boylan sit down once a month to talk about the comic books that we've been reading and the comic books that we've been enjoying. Folks, as mentioned, I'm your host, Ben Hamill, and I'm joined as always by... Nikki Boylan. And uh, Nick, my friend, are you ready to talk about comics today? Sure am, Ben. <laughs> always ready to talk about comics. Just as a preliminary, uh, you've been reading something special, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. To celebrate, I kind of you'd say the name of the. Okay, there we go. To to celebrate the Legend of Korra coming to Netflix, I decided to finish. I had started like when it first came out, but then stopped uh, reading it after a while because uh, I couldn't get access to the updates while I was away. Uh, but have now continued and finished reading the Legend of Korra comic, uh, the first one, Turf Wars. Yeah, yeah, I heard good things, of course. Uh, and folks, I have uh, been reading uh, Die by Kieran Gillen, which I uh, have done for a previous special, but I read more of it. And uh, also I've read about half of the first volume of Paradox Girl, and I'll be talking about both of those. Uh, that being said, I guess I should just kind of dive right into it. Nick, uh, do you mind if I bookend you on these? Go for it. All right. Uh, so then the first book I talked about uh, would be, uh, oh, now I have to decide. On my right hand, the physical trade paperback of the book I read. On my left hand, uh, my phone, on which contains the book. Hmm. Uh, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go with Die. So, uh, Die is a book by Kieran Gillen, Stephanie Hans, uh, Clayton Cowles, Ryan Hughes, and Chrissy Williams. Uh, Nick, do you recall me bringing this one up last year? I, think it might I have do not. Last September, last July, maybe. Refresh my memory. What's it about? Oh, I will gladly. Thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've realized basically that I've gotten into a nasty habit uh, when it comes to my comic book consumption, which is that in addition to the things that I casually read for my own joy and benefit, I know, you can do that. Um, when I read something for the show, I kind of speed read uh, three issues real quick and then accidentally never return to the book. And I've done that for New Superman, and I've done that for uh, House of Muck, and I did that for Die. Um, among other books that I've, you know what, about pretty much any anything I've reviewed for this show. That's, that's, that's true. Except for Family Tree. I'm making my way through that, and I'm enjoying it just fine. What about, um, the, what about the Judas comic? Oh, well, that I finished in its entirety uh, because I was sad about it, so I had to keep going. <laughs> Oh, I wasn't able to lend that to you, was I? No. No. Oh, it's presently in Maddie's apartment right now. Maddie. I know. They've had it for like eight months now. The Fiend. <laughs> and, I, and I probably won't get it back for another six. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. No, I, I read uh, a little bit of Die last year. Enough to talk about it for the show. And I really wanted to revisit it because I feel like I didn't do it justice with my initial... Uh, discussion on it and also i i wanted to i mean it's it's one of the you know uh it's pandemic times and uh unfortunately that means a lot of comic book production has been halted to one degree or another uh dc is kind of famously uh downsizing right now unfortunately uh but die has has been pretty consistently coming out uh it's one of the few books that i'm able to get uh mailed to me from my local comic book store and as they kept rolling in, I kept, you know, it was, it was kind of a nagging feeling of, ah, oh, fuck, I need to get back to that. 
I need to get back to that and figure out why it's so critically acclaimed. And having had read more of it, um, ooh, I'm seeing it. Uh, so Die is a book that starts off in 1991 uh, with these six people getting together, uh, these six teens, I guess, getting together for a tabletop game for a birthday party. Um, the dungeon master, who is everyone's friend, uh, Solomon, uh, Sol, uh, is teasing that they're, they're going to be playing this this great weird game that, that maybe he's designed, maybe it's something weird he's found. He refers to it as fantasy for adults, uh, which is met with the narrator saying, and we agree to that because that's what we presume we wanted. Um, and I don't know, already the, the kind of deconstructionist elements of fantasy tabletop are, are, are strongly at play. Oh, uh, yeah. Now I know which one you're talking about. I didn't yes. recognize it by the cover, but now that you're talking about it, I do remember you discussing it the first time. Yeah, with its weird painterly style and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he hands them basically this this velvet lined box uh, containing the six dice from from your standard um, I guess d20 based system of tabletop Dungeons and Dragons um, <laughs> uh, and and basically says like okay go ahead tell me about yourselves and I'm actually just going to read this entire exchange uh, which is this incredible. Uh, two-page set of like striped panels um, which are the basically the characters saying what they want to be and then the dungeon master handing them a die and telling them what their archetype is. My character is kind of a diplomat with teeth. She's like a cross between Cleopatra and Machiavelli. Nice. You're the dictator. This is the only d4 in the game. It's yours. Uh, it's kind of a magical warrior turning emotions into power. It's pretty metal, or goth even. It's both. The Grief Knight. This is the only D8 in the game. It's yours. I'm a cyberpunk. Of course you are, Neo. D10, the only one. Oh god, I'm going to hell. I'm some kind of atheist with gods for pets. Naughty girl, godbinder. The solitary D12, it's yours. I kind of picked some random abilities. I'm just going to have fun. Of course you are. Fool. You get this entirely normal D6. Boring. So who gets the D So who gets the D20? I do. They roll the dice and disappear from this plane of reality. 2 years later they reappear on the middle of the road. This book takes place in England, so it's like out, literally outside of Nottingham. Um, one of them is missing an arm, and one of them is straight up missing. As, as their families rightly question where they've been for the last two years, none of them can talk about where they've been, or what happened, or what happened to one of their arms, or where their friend is. 25 years later, one of them gets the same velvet-lined box with the D20 caked in blood. They all return together to meet to talk about it, during which the D20 kind of involuntarily floats in the air and sucks all of them back into this fantasy realm. From there it is a... Oh, I mean, there's a very specific phrasing. They were like, you know those movies where a serial killer uh, locks you in a room and tries to grind you up into paste? That, but it meets Narnia. 
Um, so basically they find out that their friend, their friend who designed the game, who got accidentally left behind uh, in, in a very kind of um, portal fantasy storyline, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz, Narnia, you know, click, click your heels three times, walk back through the wardrobe, whatever, yeah. you know, you're home free. One of them gets left behind uh, and unable to like leave himself. He, over the course of 25 years, uh, kills the big bad of the world. Um, you know, your your Sephiroth or whatever. Um, and usurps him and replaces him and now has brought everyone back into the game. He's like, don't worry. I, I got rid of that actual threat. Now we can play together here forever. Um, and yeah, no, it's really good. It's really good. You know, aside from that, that premise, which is, I, I would argue, rad in its own respects. Um, it, it's just a really good... Um, I don't know analyzing of like why 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 we play tabletop why we what escapism means what what it what it means to exist in one of these worlds and like not just you know not not like a oh what if D and D were real haha you know how many items am I actually carrying in my backpack um, level of analysis but more like. You know why would anyone willingly go into a dungeon? Is mm -hmm. is what issue three is about? It's about like why would anybody willingly put themselves in this much harm for the promise of a thousand gold pieces or or anything? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or or you know like he says like oh this isn't going to be like Dungeons and Dragons this isn't ten by ten orc genocide. Um, direct quote. Uh, this is fantasy for adults, and we agreed because that's what we thought we wanted at the time. Just like I don't know, like like you know, why why do we fool ourselves into you know serious games? You know, why do we why do we want to reject the childhood childish ideas of tabletop? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like no, you're playing you are playing a game with magical spells and stuff. Um, the third issue, uh, which is the last one that I was able to read for this. Um, does a remarkable thing where basically these characters have decided that the safest way to get to their destination is to walk through this eternal war zone uh, between the countries of eternal Prussia and little England. And at first glance, it's like, okay, I guess it's just borrowing, you know, this whole world is pastiche. So I guess it's just borrowing real world place names. And it appears to be more complicated than that because they are, they're walking through basically kind of a giant, slightly steampunky hellscape um you know in in which there's there's like shells going off you know there's there's large trenches cutting through the earth there's a massive dragon that is covered in uh covered in like plate armor um you know they're trying to fight their way through that and one of them ends up falling into one of the trenches and is met by basically two of these little halfling characters who are all dressed up in like, you know, 1915 uh, World War One garb, right? You know, very, very plain, uh, very plain kind of olive colored uniforms. Um, and so this character, uh, Ash, uh, starts talking to them, you know, why, why, why are you here? 
you know, where, where's the rest of your unit? There's only four of you and two of you are dead and one of you doesn't have eyes anymore. You know, and and this character starts elaborating, you know. He dragged us to safety. We went back into the gas time and time again to save us all. His eyes went and he was doing it by touch. He had no idea uh, there was only half of poor Mr. P left. And where's the rest of your unit? What are you doing here? Just the four of you. It's the offensive. The big blast cleared the way and we and us small group sneak in. The way was meant to be clear, but the wire wasn't all cut and, and there was dragons and, and gas and it didn't go well, ma'am. What are you doing here in an evening dress? We've been trapped here by the Grandmaster. He challenged us to find a way home. Missions from a wizard, huh? It's always missions from a wizard, isn't it? Always a right thing to be done and always a right thing to be done by you. Um, you know, they continue to talk and eventually uh, one of these short little curly-haired halfling boys opens his hand to reveal uh, a magic ring. And all of a sudden, the similarities between the war that J.R.R. Tolkien fought in and the Lord of the Rings become extremely apparent. Uh, that this is literally a, a, a crosshatch between Frodo's journey into Mordor. You know, it's always missions from a wizard, isn't, isn't it? Always right things to be done and right things that need to be done by you. Um, and, you know, World War I, the horrible, endless chemical warfare that inspired the book. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's, you know, it's really well, well done. He, he has, he has like Ash write, you know, this letter back home to his wife, who's, who's, you know, it's a wedding ring. It's not a, it's not the one ring of power. Um, you know. Look, hey, I'm sorry we didn't make it back home. I'm sorry we're stuck in these trenches forever, etc. And I don't, I don't know. There, there's something. Once you realize what it's doing, it's, it's, it's very, very affecting, especially when the warden of the land shows up, uh, and he's like this very old man smoking a pipe, and you realize it might be a cross between J.R.R. himself and Gandalf, um, and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, and then ends with this very, uh, very evocative shot of uh, of four more halflings kind of walking into this like blighted landscape. Again, clearly representative of World War One. And Nick, I know you haven't seen Lord of the Rings. But, you know, there's this kind of like dark wizard who is insisting they walk, you know, they keep going, etc. Uh, next wave, ready for your actions, sir. Magnificent, you excellent men. Well, you know where to go. You can simply walk there. And so, of course, I'm sure you at least know the line, you know, one does simply not walk into Mordor. Everyone does. Yeah, everyone does. I don't know. So, yeah, the idea of, like, literally just, you know, it's meant to be World War One, you know, a war that famously was at a permanent standstill because it was trench warfare. And so, like, these teams of hobbits keep failing. Um, so it's just, it's interesting. Like, the fantasy just keeps resetting itself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, that mission failed. All right, send them in, send a different four in again. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Like, the main character reflects this entire book has, like, kind of a backbone of, like, kind of poetic introspection from the main character. Um, 
And like that character says, like, no, your references. I know what your references to. This can't be affecting me like this. Because, you know, they're in this fantasy world. They're like, no, I know this is just Tolkien. I know this is just a pastiche of, of Tolkien. You know, you can't you can't be affecting me like this. I shouldn't be affected by you. You're not real. Um, I don't know. It's it's a I think it's a very, very clever analysis of like, you know, the stories we tell ourselves. And trauma. <laughs> There's a lot of trauma in here. That and like the the willingness to um like of thinking that you want to tell a separate story from real life and then it just ends up reflecting real life Ooh. anyway. Like there's there's no, you know, escaping like we, we use fantasy tabletop as like a way of escapism, but yet it real life and all the problems in it still find its way into these campaigns that we write. Yeah, they sure do. Hence, which is why I found the line, you know, it's going to be fantasy for adults. And we agreed to that because that's what we thought we wanted. You know, Which, no, what we wanted was just to go fight some monsters in a dungeon and get some gold. I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to have to think upon my sins or think about the eternal nature of warfare or think about, you know, especially as, as look, as there are a lot of ongoing conversations about how to diversify and decolonize, uh, specifically Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know, discussions of like, oh, is this how you want to relax by... by <laughs> by deconstructing you know is this how you want to re yeah relax by by deconstructing your hang-ups and, and trauma through well it's not like we can afford therapy what else are we gonna do <laughs> yeah yeah through fictionalized violence or is like is this how you want to relax by pretending to commit atrocities um you know stuff like that like it i don't know it's it's a very interesting very interesting analysis of it uh also as as i've told you like the book is fucking gorgeous yeah um yeah everyone's powers rule also i know that's not the point but everyone's powers do rule and and gillen has created an incredible uh atmosphere here uh where <laughs> you know where where world war one is literalized on the page as hobbit fantasy stuff uh where there is a character called the you know one of the classes is the god binder and she summons gods as if you know the way warlocks summon demons or whatever um which i guess is called a cleric but like literally you know <laughs> you know what i mean though yeah um you know a character is you know there is a character called the grief knight who just like you know whenever he is reminded of you know traumatic stuff you know, then his like, you know, magical, you know, like, like Bilbo's sword glows blue when there's orcs nearby, you know, he, he, his giant blade manifests, you know, when he's confronted with sadness. And, you know, sometimes someone needs to encourage him, you know, by reminding him of sad events. And sometimes he just needs to look around. <laughs> um, and there's also a character that is the cyberpunk who like literally has like a fey bargain where she has to present gold in order to get her all of any of her equipment to work. Um, and then it just turns to dust in the morning. Uh, I don't know. Those are just very, very cool fantasy concepts. Um, and then in them is this massive deconstruction of like, why do we play tabletop and what do we expect from these fictional worlds? Uh, and that Hobbit part got me real sad and I want to rewatch the movies. And I know that means nothing to you, but trust me, 
I accept that it means something to you and a lot of other people. <laughs> I just once you once you realize what it's getting at, it's very it's very affecting. Always quest from wizards, huh? Yeah, man, always quest from wizards. That's just how it goes. Also, the main bad guy has two uh, d20s for eyeballs, so that rolls. Do they like roll, um, roll around in his in his head, or? You know, I actually don't want to think about whether or not they do. <laughs> Frankly, don't want to think about it. And is he const- are his eyes constantly rolling at advantage or disadvantage, given that there's two d20s? <sighs> what am I going to do with you? Important questions, Ben. Important questions. I roll my eyes at disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> In, anyway, inc- absolutely incredible artwork. I don't think this thing would be half as affecting, half as affecting were it not uh, for for the incredible artwork by by Stephanie Hans. Uh, just a just a gorgeous all around book, and I have nine more issues of it on my shelf, so I should probably finish it. That's what I'm getting at. I need to finish these books. <laughs> I believe in you. All right, Nick, tell me about Cora. Um. So yeah, I read Turf Wars, the Legend of Cora book that started coming out in July of 2017. Um, it is written by Michael Dante DiMartino, the creator, one of the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Um, and the artist is Irene Coe, who did Batgirl. Um, and we saw them at the 2017 uh, Rose City Comic Con. Um, we did. And that was really cool. Uh it's great that this is a thing. So there are Avatar comics, and then there's also these Leg- Legend of Korra comics. And it's great that there's a Legend of Korra comic because uh, the series ended kind of abruptly, um, pretty much because they were told towards the end of every season that that season was going to be their last season. Yeah, uh, I've heard that about this show. And so every season... Um, has like an apocalyptic ending because they think it's going to be the end one and then they find out afterwards that they've been renewed. Only uh, the last one really was the end. Uh, book four was really the end. So um, the last season, I guess spoilers if you, if for people who are going to see it now that it's on Netflix and haven't, in the six years that Cora has been out, 2014? That sounds right. Yeah. I think so, because it started airing in, I think, 2012 or 2013. Um, but the end of book four, the final villain uh, uses spirit energy to power this giant mech, and it ends up blowing up and, and like opening a whole new spirit portal in the middle of the, the city, of the main city. And um, Korra and her new girlfriend, Asami. I know, I know. Uh, go into the spirit world together for a vacation. So that's where the comic starts. And like, so right off the bat, you get to see uh, Irene Coe's visualization of what the spirit world looks like and the colors and designs and like all of the, so all of the spirits and um, colors and designs and everything is really creative. And uh, I, she has like a very flowing style. I think her lines are very soft and I really like that about her art style. I think it adds a lot, not only to the 
like to the background, but to like character expressions and everything as well. And um, a bonus to it being written by the show's writer is you know that like what's being said and what's being written is what would what would have been intended by the creators, which is like good and bad because then like you don't get any other like out of outer idea of like what other people think that the characters are or the world would be like which i which i know is something people really like about star wars is that we got so many people's takes on that extended universe after those first movies came out yeah or even like superhero comics like so many people have written superman or spider-man or all over the years so each one you everyone has like a different run that they like the most or a different writer that they like the most if Bob Kane were ever the only person to ever write Batman, it would have sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely true. Like, everyone can think of, like, oh, man, I hate this person's run on Spider-Man or whatever. Um, Hell, I mean, I'll say it. If Stan Lee were only <laughs> the only ever person to uh, have written Spider-Man, it would have sucked. That's why we needed variations on... Uh of the creative direction of these characters. Um, but it makes sense because there's only like, you know, one or two comics. So it makes sense that, you know, it's one person writing them. Uh, maybe we'll get more people um, who are able to write avatar comics in the future. I hope so. I hope it becomes more of more like a, like a star Wars thing because there's so many different stories that I think that can be told within the universe outside of just the main characters too there's like four nations all of every single one of them has a unique story to tell um we still have like no idea what of a lot of what happened between avatar the last airbender and legend of korra we have a basic idea but i have so many questions (laughs) Um, none of which are answered by the show (laughs) uh legend of korra it feels like such a no-brainer to, to to just either approve anthology books or to try to tell a connecting story in between. Like, these worlds are, I guess, except for me, universally beloved. <laughs> um, you know, pretty physically expansive. And have lots of, if I know anything about these shows, in-canon history stretching back generations. Like 10,000 years. Like at the very least, ten thousand years, because every ten thousand years is when harmonic convergence happens, which we has happened twice in the Avatar canon. As Feels like it. a no-brainer to keep licensing books about these. Yeah, I just like I think that, and like obviously I have a lot of questions because at the end of Avatar, it kind of seems like these four separated nations got brought together, but it doesn't feel that way because there's still an there's still a Fire Lord, there's still an Earth King, um. And now there's a president, but I don't really know what he's the president of. Um, he's, I, he's just the president of this one of this one city. Um, the the water tribes have their chiefs. Um, it, they don't really go really deep into the world building in Korra, except for like two episodes in the second season, which is why the comics are kind of nice because we get a better sense of like what the world is like outside of these apocalyptic battles that happened at the end of all of the seasons. Um, And like interconnecting 
stories and the results of what happened during all of those fights. So I feel like giving these comics give the creators a chance to expand upon the world that they created without having to worry about this is the end. So they can tell these contained stories within their world in a way that helps build the world and build the characters and fixes a lot of the little problems uh, that I personally had with the show, and I know a lot of other people did as well. Um, So now we get to see Korra as a fully realized avatar and her and her relationships and the relationships of the people around her. So, um, like, how she deals not only with these world-ending threats, but with things like gangs in the city or a a capitalist who wants to turn the entry to the spirit world into an amusement park, and she has to, like, somehow, she has to balance the needs of the people who live there with the spiritual connection. Um, And her dealing with the politicians of the area while she's, you know, very distinctly not politically minded. Um, that rings true <laughs> with me. Like I, I definitely identify with her frustrations and, um, but yeah, like most importantly is being able to focus on the relationship between Korra and Asami, which happened so suddenly at the end of the last season because they were afraid they wouldn't, they weren't going to be allowed to do it on Nickelodeon. Um, and so now they can fully explore that relationship. And I think that that's really, that they did it really well. Um, it brings me joy. No, yeah, I agree. I feel like that's that's a fantastic, I mean, certainly there's a, there's a whole history of these you know um kind of uh after the show has ended um kind of epilogue comics um i'm trying to think i guess very notably firefly had that for a long time maybe still does i don't know um you know but look fuck joss wade and and frankly fuck firefly i didn't Uh, even know firefly had end comics oh yeah it super does i think by dark horse i want to say um but yeah that is absolutely a case of like okay well it's also dark horse oh hey maybe they're just good at that i think dark horse and there's another one i think i think dynamite also has a lot of licenses uh to various intellectual properties and you may have seen me frown as i said that and that's because dynamite sucks uh real bad as we found out last month um don't work with comicscape people not that hard there's so many people who are comic skate that you can be working with. Just don't hire Nazis. I don't understand what's hard about this. Um, but but you know what I mean. Yeah, no. Uh, there's definitely yeah, definitely Firefly uh, comics. I, I'm not a. I mean, you know, everyone's a fan of that show when they're 15 or whatever. Um, but I, I I just remember seeing like a bunch of like because you know a famously short lived show. Right. So you know, expand the world. Right. Um, you know, and I'm sure it's at this point, hell, even with Star Wars, where there is more expanded canon than there ever was canon canon. Um, Which I think is the best part about Star Wars, because if you don't like one thing, well, there is definitely something else that you're going to be into. Like, you could hate all of canon and, like, be, like, the biggest Star Wars fan in the universe, because there's so much other continuity and um, 
material that you could just be like, oh man, I just love this one book series. Is that something you would hope for the Avatar world? You know, to to, to be as as retroactively expanded as... Yeah, I definitely think so, especially because there's so much room for stories from, like, from other cultures that have inspired these the worlds that that avatar built upon like you so i mean to die this world already has a basis that could be diversified like you could have i mean and you should have like an all poc comic series just in this world <laughs> like Fair i think absolutely. of all of like the art and fanon and stories that have come from, you know, from Inuit in particular, on whom the Water Tribe was based, or, you know, the Vietnamese diaspora that created the Swamp Benders. Right, yeah, yeah. In the yeah. first series. So it's like all of these have, there's like so much opportunity for these stories to be told especially by young creatives within these cultures who grew up with Avatar and were like, like, I know I was super excited. I was like, what? Uh, a native female protagonist? That's so cool. And then like Cora, who I adore with all of my heart. Of course, but, of course. Oh, I, no, I know. Yeah. You know, you see... Like, so a lot of people see themselves in these characters, this entire world of, like, diverse cultures. So I think that there's a lot of potential for the Avatar world to give rise to these kinds of stories from young, diverse creatives. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I hope that there's there might eventually be kind of an expanded, you know, stories told kind of like how star wars has its own stories um you know for the avatar world so yeah i do hope that happens someday yeah um are you familiar with gravity falls <laughs> yes yes okay okay you've seen yes. it then right yes okay cool it's relevant to my next point Okay. Which is that like anything so that many... involves gravity falls is good with me. Um No, yeah, so like what I'm getting at is like some worlds benefit very strongly from expansion. And I think Star Wars and I think it sounds like Avatar is definitely one of them. But on the flip side, you know, there's some stories in which like no, actually exactly what we got is all I want. Um and I think Gravity Falls is one of those. Where I yeah. don't want more Gravity Falls content. I am perfectly content with what I got. Which, Gravity which Falls that. did such a great job. And it's like one of the series I can think of that did this perfectly. Of ending at the right time. Ending at the exact right time, yeah. And then Alex Hirsch just shut up and never said anything about Gravity Falls ever again. And good for him. Truly. <laughs> and I like, I love that. I love that. It was just like Gravity Falls was just this contained entity that happened and it was great and we can all go back and enjoy it the way it was. Yeah. And I know I know everyone jokes about like, boy, The Simpsons is still on air despite not being funny for like 20 years or whatever. Wait, The Simpsons yeah. is still airing new episodes? Yeah. Simpson yeah, that's the joke is that Simpsons is still going and it hasn't been funny since like 1995. 
or whatever. I don't know what the actual years are, nerds. I've watched like 10 episodes of The Simpsons in my entire life. Oh, I don't like that. No, but that, that's what I'm saying. Is like there's got to be a middle ground between exactly what we got is exactly what I want, and it's precious as it is, and we shouldn't add more to it. Mm-hmm. And the reverse, which is, oh, God, this franchise has been run into the ground. Not that anyone watches Simpsons for the lore, but you know what I mean. Cursed statement. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, uh, Comic Invasion doesn't have a t-shirt yet, but I watched Simpsons for the lore would be very <laughs> funny as a sticker. <laughs> I watched Simpsons for the lore. <laughs> Stupid. But anyway, the, the point is, you know, some universes deserve to remain precious. Uh, and some need to be expanded because we truly want more. It's, it's hard to tell sometimes. That's all I'm getting at. It also is like big enough of a world that you don't even have to tell it. Like obviously you don't have to tell it with the same with the main characters, which I think is like a hang up that a lot of people have with certain series and making that content is like they only want to make content with the characters that they saw in the show. But like the world here is you could literally pick a firebender or pick an earthbender, like make make your own avatar OC and write a story of them <laughs> like anyone can do that. Uh, which is why I think that it's like a good um, like starting point for young diverse creatives who can, who see themselves in the show and then can like make their own stories within the world. Yeah, the people who quote unquote grew up on Avatar are our age and yeah, like in the industry and in the industry now is like it, it feels like a no brainer to release anthology books and and avoid the Star Wars trap of everything having to relate back to the Skywalker saga like. Go in new directions. Like that's like Mandalorian is great because it tells its own contained story in the Star exactly. Wars world outside of the Skywalker saga. Uh, so real quick, I would like to talk about Paradox Girl by Katie L. Borquin and Yishan Lee. Uh, it has a very, very independent feel to it, which I very much appreciate. Um, there, there's something about this that, that makes me feel like it um, could have been a, a webcomic or published on Webtoon. Maybe it was. Maybe I just don't know the origin of the story. Paradox Girl is a fun, uh, very creatively written, very creatively drawn story about uh, this superhero who, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't really, really look like a superhero. Um, is, in fact, just kind of wearing like a pinstripe uh, suit ensemble, you know, doesn't dress like uh, Superman or Wonder Woman or anything. Um, her who her whole power is that she can seemingly uh, very much at will uh, teleport through time um, and as a result um, her very first story for example uh, has her literally just trying to eat breakfast uh, absolutely uh, bombarded by the other versions of herself interfering in her own timeline so she's literally just trying to eat these these waffles that apparently were discontinued a number of years ago. And it's kind of implied that they were discontinued a number of years ago because she keeps going to the past to buy up the supply uh, from her other clones. Or, excuse me, from her other versions of herself interfering in her own timeline, etc. Uh, similar to that Doctor Doom bit where he and all the other Dooms uh, meet up every year to celebrate his birthday. <laughs> to Doom! but but very much of that style and it's very fun it's very very creatively drawn like you can actually see 
especially that first story is very enclosed so that each of the paradox girls that you see is her in that storyline over the course of two hours coming back to fix something or like walking through the scene on her way to do something else you know what i mean so like we see like you know eight of them and they eat you know the story follows all eight of them in linear order but you can still see the others in the background doing the other parts of the story um which i don't know feels very feels like one of those things you can only do for comics uh because comics are you know comics are not time dependent you know uh every everything else i guess with the exception of books um but you know uh our movies tv podcasts this very show you're listening to are all controlled by time you listen forward in linear time whereas you know if you want to go back in time in comics you just need to glance a little higher on the page so yeah it feels like a very very appropriate for for comics and something you can really only do in comics where you can like very quickly go you know back one two three pages oh that's where that's i see what's happening here you know forward one two three pages um so i don't know really playing with the cool time aspect of 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 comics um but yeah it's fun you know she's not doing a ton of major superhero adventures you know there there's literally just uh issues about her trying to get to sleep and being interfered with by other versions of herself um trying to you know get breakfast in the morning and being interfered with other versions of herself uh there's one where she just kind of meets a stranger on the road um or rather in a park and and she's like oh no what what's happened to you you seem distraught and he starts describing his life story and how he got to this point and instead of just being described directly to her you can see her going back in time and visiting these various moments until she's a part of his life and is able to attend his funeral in the future with all of those other versions of herself i don't know it's really sweet uh and it's very well drawn uh and there's just kind of like how they show the time travel mechanic is just like there's just little kind of blurs of pink whenever it's about to switch between time uh and sometimes you know she's literally just walking between various panels um to show the transition through time um but yeah i've enjoyed it i'm about halfway through the first volume i hope i certainly hope there's more i believe it only came out earlier this year uh next and that's a uh, paradox girl that sounds really interesting i definitely agree about the whole um comics not being dependent on time thing yeah. um which i have to read backwards fairly often because then i get to a panel and i'm like oh i missed something i have to have yeah. missed something well even as i was reading die like um you know so we see these six characters as they're young children uh like 16 or whatever um then we see those characters as they are 40 and then we see those young characters as their fantasy selves which are sometimes close but not quite i mean one of them definitely changes genders uh in the fantasy world so like th there were moments where i had to be like um, you know, I would see a character I'm like, oh, wait, which one, which one, which one? Flip, 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 flip. Okay, that's definitely, you know, soul. Okay, okay, that's definitely Ash is Dominic. Got it, got it. You know, like, just like that. I don't know. It, it's 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 nice to be able to exist in a medium where if you miss something, you really can just go back. And I know you can rewind it on a TV show, but you know what I mean. It's not the same. 
there's something different between that and being able to literally like stick your fingers in the book, you know, and flip between two sections of the book. I mean, look, we all love we all love fantasy books with a map in the back. Strong uh, head nods from Nick, who several years into podcasting doesn't realize this is an audio medium. I agree. I like maps <laughs> in the back of my fantasy books. <laughs> I was re-listening to the Dead Authors podcast uh, recently, and at one point, Paul F. Tompkins just says, oh, uh, for the audience, uh, something's happening that you can't see. But <laughs> we don't know what it is. Yeah, in reference to a visual gag that was happening during recording. But I, I just love that. No effort to explain. Oh, for the listener, something's happening that you're unable to see. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. Um, that's uh, Paradox Girl. That's Die, And that's uh, Legends of Korra. Uh, I've been Ben Hamlin. You can find me online at Ben C. Hamlin. That is B-E-N-C-H-A-M-L-I-N over on Twitter.com and Instagram if you want to follow it. You don't have to. Just follow my Twitter. Uh, Nick, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at by underscore rogues. You can find us both at infinitybreak.net, where we are telling stories our own way. That is the home of Nick and I's other podcasts, including Legends of Laia, which, oh, a fun bit of trivia, is actually no longer going to be streaming on Sundays, and instead it's going to be releasing as a pre-recorded podcast on Wednesdays. We hope you will uh, go and continue to check out the show. Uh, it is a long-form narrative project, so start at the beginning. You're going to be very confused if you hop in on 49. Well, maybe you'll not have that fun, confused. But you'll have fun, but you, it, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe there's some stuff you'll miss. Maybe there's some stuff you'll miss. There's vampires. It's a good time. You, of course, can find my other show, uh, Parascience, every other Tuesday, uh, which I, of course, make with Nick and our friends uh, Maddie and Ezra. Uh, if you like tabletop and you like horror, uh, Legends of Leia and Parascience are for you, as both of them encompass both of those. Uh, in addition to that, uh, my new show with Leslie Yates, syndicated with Leslie and Ben, uh, releases very soon. If you like essentially uh, long-form media discussion, but about television, a time-dependent medium uh, instead of comics. I guess I now hate time. Linear time. <laughs> Fuck that shit. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I only I only like mediums that don't have linear components, so paintings. And, and a good meal, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> sure, Ben. Is food time dependent? No. Yes. 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 Food is time dependent. Because, because if you leave it out for it. too long, you can't eat it anymore. It's very true. I wish I could just flip back and eat the Cajun sausage breakfast burrito I had this morning. What are we getting at? Fuck. Listen to our other podcast, infinitybreak.net. We have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash infinitybreak. You can find us on social media at the places where we already mentioned. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you in another month. Bye. Sorry I lost my mind halfway through.